in integrative health was none of that. It's like the sickest of the sick. They've already been to 10, 12, 15 doctors. Mm. And it's not like what Duke portrayed. That's not what integrative sure. health is about. Yeah. Um, Trader Joe's, for instance, like Trader Joe's uses canola oil. Canola oil is deadly for our mitochondria. Okay. And so Trader Joe's is a health food store. But just because it says health food store, right. I don't think it's healthy. So I can just say that, but don't give names. Exactly. Is that is that good by you? Yeah. I mean, none of what you said. I mean, don't call people maybe out. Ref- yeah, referencing specific people, but organizations. Yeah. Trader Joe's. Okay. Right? I think that's great information. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Or you could just censor out if I say something sure. inappropriate. Like, beep. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Hello. We heard that little bit of tone there. Welcome to How I See It with me, Mark Pratt, and Justin Sternberg. This is a podcast that works to counter cultural polarization through thoughtful conversations. Hey everyone, welcome back to the How I See It podcast. I'm Justin Sternberg, one of your co-hosts. Um, just want to drop a quick note here to let you know we're excited to share this interview with Mary Beth. Um, this is part one. Part two will be out next week. want to let you know the audio quality for this episode and, and next week's as well is not the best. Um, we had to edit it and clean it up a little bit. And there will be a few parts uh, that can get a little garbled. But we were really happy to have this conversation with Mary Beth, and we believe it's absolutely uh, worth sharing with you. So we hope you enjoy it. Um, the other thing is this is a, an episode that deals with medic, medical um, you know, issues, and we wanted to be clear that we're not giving medical advice on this podcast. That's our little disclaimer. You should seek your own medical advice from your own medical professionals. And... Lastly, I wanted to make sure to let you know, we'll, we'll have some additional information uh, about this episode on the show notes for this episode on our website. And you can actually go back to any previous episodes and click through to the show notes for that episode. We'd love for you guys to check that out. Just go to howiseeit.click, all one word, howiseeit.click. And you'll see all the episodes right there. Just click on any of the episodes and you'll get to the show page where you'll see the show show notes in any other uh, details in regards to that particular episode. And that's all I got for you. So I hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. We continue to prove, Mark. We don't know what we're doing. Well, you know. <laughs> it we, doesn't sound we, like we're in the that. podcast, though. Oh, yes. it, it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot you of this. sounds like you've been doing there's, this your whole life. There's a lot of this beforehand. <laughs> is, you, yeah. Are you good with your space there? I'm just getting yeah. around to the yeah. side yeah, here yeah. a little bit. Yep. Uh, so, hey, this is how we see it. And um, today we have a guest, which is awesome. We're very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're specifically going to be talking about things around healthcare. And, um, and the reason we want to talk about it is because interestingly enough, healthcare can be very polarizing, right? They're especially different practices, different ideologies, different, you know, generations even, um, we come to these ideas of how healthcare should be done. And sometimes it's passed down from our parents. Sometimes it's whatever, you know, our doctor told us this or whatever, and it can become so, such a hot topic for people. Um, and so we want to do what we do and kind of start to have the conversation and maybe even bring up some hot topics and discuss them, but recognizing it is how we see it, you know, sure. and it's how Mary Beth sees it, who is our guest. So, yes. Good morning, Mary Beth. Good morning, Mark. Yes. I just wanted to take a moment and, uh, let, uh, our listeners know, I personally met Mary Beth through my wife's own personal health journey. And, you know, it's as I was thinking about that, you know, it's like we all need supports around us. But I think health care or help or help is one of those things where those supports become so important. And we Mm -hmm. even think about, you know, um, not promoting for yourself. What's what's the word to where, you know, you um, assert advocate, advocate. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, and Mm -hmm. we think about that. And that's what I guess we are not offering health 
advice, but we want to recognize that people have to advocate and we have to have difficult conversations. And what when we when you and I, Justin, were talking about polarizing topics and that kind of came to mind, um, Mary Beth was one of those people that came to mind mm-hmm. for me. And um, even when we did the podcast, a little more be all right, we talked about yeah. if a person cares, it kind of defines their ability to find success. And yes. when I first met Mary Beth, I wasn't sure how to take you initially, <laughs> just because what you were saying at times seemed foreign to me. But the undeniable part of who Mary Beth is, is that she genuinely cares Mm. about people being healthy. Mm. And she's not afraid to have the difficult conversations that say, have you thought about this? And that's what endeared her to me. You know, when Chris, my wife, had someone who was walking alongside of her being able to offer that. So Mary Beth, tell us. This is this is your opportunity to tell us about you and speak to what you just said. Okay. And then I'll tell you a little bit about myself and how I got to this journey. But I feel like um, the reason that healthcare is so polarizing is for the sad fact of what you just said mm-hmm. that we need an advocate now. I don't mm-hmm. think we used to need an advocate. I think medicine used to be about what I went into medicine for about helping people get well. Um, helping them to understand that their body has the tool to get well, the tools to get well, mm-hmm. and that we don't, um, it shouldn't be adversarial, like I feel like medicine's become. Mm-hmm. I think the system is broken by design. You've probably heard mm-hmm. that cliche before, um, because if people get well on their own, and we get well because God gave us bodies to get well, um, then there's... No, doctors don't need to be there. Medicine doesn't mm. need to be there. Pharmaceutical companies don't need to be there. Drugstores don't need to be there. Ads don't need to be there. Mm. And so there's not a... There's no benefit to getting well so from, it, from a business aspect. And that's what medicine's become. Medicine's and, and, that's what, and that's what's the interesting part is I... When you use the word medicine, you're not necessarily using health interchangeably with medicine. Help so yeah, talk uh, talk with me about how you see the two tend. That's what creates the polarization, is it not? Mm-hmm. That we've tended to make them synonymous. Right. That medicine, mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals may be the same as becoming healthy, and Correct. they're not always the same. They're not always the same, but maybe they should be the same. Medicine, and medicine. how I started out in medicine, yeah. was about being healthy. It was, um, there were, were tools, right? There were tools you could do, you could change this, or you could eat different, or you could stop smoking, and that's how you were contributing to your poor health. And mm-hmm. now... Those parts seem to have been brushed aside. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, when I went to school, I was taught, here's a symptom. Here's uh, several medications for that symptom. Here's a symptom. There's several medications for that symptom. Gotcha. And then patients would come back, and they didn't really feel great. Maybe their blood pressure was down a little bit, but they were feeling sluggish. They couldn't perform at their jobs. Their brains weren't quite as sharp. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get erections on a beta blocker. And so they came in with all these new set of symptoms that they didn't have when I first saw them. Mm-hmm. And so now I am going to give you, well, you're having trouble and you're feeling fatigued or you're feeling blue, so here's another medication I can give you. And so it just snowballed. If you stack enough of them, you should be better, right? You should be better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but every time you put any kind of a chemical or foreign substance or mm. even something natural like an apple into your body. Mm. Your body has a downstream effect from all of those things. Gotcha. All your cells start working. There's chemical mm. reactions. And so I think a lot of it is just becoming cognizant and stopping or questioning that. Is this what I really want? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So tell us about your journey that that, that brought you to that spot. Sure. You know, your background. Yeah. Um, I fell in love with medicine when I was 14. My dad worked at a paper mill up north. The paper mill closed. So we qualified for um, an assistance program in which at 14 I was allowed to go to work. Hmm. And the yeah. government paid for it or subsidized it. And so I had a list of where I could go. And... Um, since I wasn't driving at age 14, I had to pick something close to home. Sure. So um, I went and I worked at DeGrath Hospital, and I was a file clerk. Oh. So as a file clerk, I was filing charts. Uh, there were index, they had an index card system with patients' names, date of birth, diagnosis. And I remember filing those cards and just being curious about what are these diagnoses? What are these hmm. things I'd never heard of them? Some hmm. patients had one or two. Others might have six or seven or eight. And so um, I remember being curious, asking a lot of questions. I'm sure that I made them crazy head um, <laughs> by the number of questions. But I started learning, and I started falling in love with it, and I started questioning inside, why Why is that? Why did that happen? Why do our bodies break down? Why mm. were, I, I could see the ages. You know, some people were very young. Most people at that time were very old, very old. Uh, at that, at that, that 14 year old, right? Right. Sure. right. They were ancient. <laughs> they were ancient right. That brings us to how I see it. How I see <laughs> it, right? How I see it. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. So it, my 14 year old age, like a 70, 80 year old to me, was ancient. Yeah. And I saw that the long diagnoses were mostly on people that were that age, mm. um, not younger. I don't necessarily see that anymore now. Oh, wow. What, help me understand that. You don't see, you, so you, diagnoses are long-term diagnoses yeah. starting earlier? Is that Starting what earlier. Now, in younger people, um, you know, there's a lot of autoimmune disease that already got high cholesterol mm-hmm. in high school, and they've mm-hmm. got arthritis in high school, and they've got, yeah, long list of diagnoses. What? Oh, that Nick, I used to just go ahead, older people. Sorry. Giving us all kinds of questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, I guess I was going to ask, like, does that change in terms of giving diagnoses, or does it change in terms of our health, or both? Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, when I first started practicing, um, actually my second job, I was told, the more diagnoses you can come up with, the better the chance of getting more insurance reimbursements. Okay. So... You come up with a really long list of diagnoses. And when you do come up with a list of diagnoses, then you can also prescribe a med, right? Diagnosis pill, diagnosis pill. Um, and so I think over time, um, patients came to expect that as well. Mm-hmm. Like they would come in, they would have a sniffle, and they would be like, I think I'm getting sick, will you please prescribe me an ease bath? Instead of, you know, our body fights that. Our body has an immune response, um, an antibiotic, how I see it in the moments, and make you sicker because we're killing off your natural flora in your gut, your immune system. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you fight if you kill it off. Sure. Kill off the immune system. Mm-hmm. So. so, in that process, it, I'm, and I'm clarifying at this point, it's not that you're against an antibiotic for certain items, but it's Correct. like to have like it as, as I've seen. Yes, exactly. So, but as a long-term thing. It's a last resort. Okay, I got it's you. It's a last resort. To me, if you're, um, you know, if you're septic, if you're in the hospital and mm-hmm. septic, you've got an infection in your bloodstream. If you've got a kidney infection, you need an antibiotic. Gotcha. Those are just times you need an antibiotic. Sure. And so, if I if I may, Meredith, tell us more about who you are sure. as far as no, no, it's okay. No, it's right. But you know, the, to the fact that we're recognizing this isn't somebody that we brought in off it's the sidewalk, you know, this file clerk, So after doing that for a few years, um, I made the decision that I wanted to be a medical assistant when I graduated. Okay. So um, I went to school. Um, it was a, just a two-year program. Okay. I became a medical assistant. Uh, I found a job right away. Um, ironically, for a anesthesiologist who did acupuncture okay. in his office. So that yeah. was really, you know, that was sort of my 
introduction. First introduction yeah. to, yeah, it's, um, there's different ways of healing. There's different mm-hmm. ways of doing things within the body. And so um, I worked there for several years until we moved away. And then I got a job as a medical assistant in family practice. Okay. I worked in family practice for quite a long while. Um, the doctors and nurses there encouraged me. That Can I interrupt? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Mark and I will both do this. Ask questions in the middle of about things that are assumed to be understood. Please ask. Family yeah. practice. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> family practice means that most family practices you see um, people of all ages, starting with mm-hmm. newborn babies all the way up to the elderly. Some family practice um, doctors still deliver. When I did rotation through school, I worked with a worked alongside a family practice physician, and yeah, he still delivered babies. So it's kind of like the old timey when you think that the guy go to your right. house, and uh-huh. yeah, okay, okay. And that has evolved too over the years. There's yeah, many family practices limit to certain ages, like they don't see younger yeah. kids anymore. That's pediatrics yeah. now, yeah. but some family practice still do that. So thank um, you. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. It's interesting. It's, it's a great question because as I think about it, I, I think about how complicated, you know, it is. It's like you know because you at times it's like you need a referral for this, and, yeah. and I and I, I I bring from my perspective that's like it affirms how complex our bodies are that we have all of these people to deal with. And you mentioned autoimmune. You know, it's like you know you're. There's doctors for all of these areas, and it's just, it's kind of awe-inspiring to me in some ways yeah. to think about how our bodies are designed so complex that we're learning more and more, and it's like, well, then there's this this part that can develop, and this, you know, so I, I, it's 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 neat right. to hear that, and you need to see, hear your story as you grew, as you grew up through that process. Yeah. Because by nature I'm quieter, so I was a quiet observer. I asked a lot of questions. Most of my learning came from the patients. So in being a medical assistant and working in family practice, um, the nurses, the physicians started questioning, well, are you going to do anything wrong with your career? Do you think you might want to advance? Have you ever thought about this or that? And so... um, and so they went through a divorce. Um, I couldn't make it up as a medical assistant, so I discovered research. So I fell into clinical research where you test new drugs to get them on the market. Um, and working there, that hired me out. I just walked in the door one day and I said, I'm looking for a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he, they took me back and interviewed me and I had that job. And so now mm-hmm. I see God's see Though I didn't know the Lord at that time, I can definitely see the Lord mm-hmm. in where mm-hmm. I am now. And so... Um, when I worked there, um, again, learned a totally different aspect to medicine, how drugs are developed, how they're, um, you know, how, do, how they get to the pharmaceutical shelves. I really learned about side effects from drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a PA there. I didn't really know what a PA was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what is a PA? A PA. At least in the state of North Carolina, uh-huh. um, is somebody that goes to school. We go for two years of school. You have to have prerequisites ahead of time, so if you have certain many patient hours, class hours, um, class hours, you have to have the two years of class hours, but you have to have so many patient hours where you're exposed to patients, and you learn there. Um, So it's like nurse? So I understand the trajectory. It doesn't, you don't even have to be a nurse. To be a nurse practitioner which is pretty much the same as a physician assistant <laughs> yeah, okay. in our state. They're okay, very close, okay. very, very close. Okay. And so um, to be a nurse practitioner, you have to first be a nurse. Mm. To be a physician assistant, you don't have to be. Mm. I think it's a little bit harder from how I see it to get into PA school um, just because of the background. They want you to have a, a, have a pretty good medical mm. background. Mm. Um a lot of exposure. A lot of exposure. Um, and it, it is hard to get in. When I went, I, I went, got into Wake, Wake Forest, and um, at that time there were 800 applicants. Wow. I did not have an undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. Again, the grace of God, how did that happen? How did I get in there? So I didn't have an undergraduate degree. I met all my prerequisite courses. 
I had good backgrounds. And so, um, so yeah, I got into Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. It was grueling. It mm-hmm. was like nothing I had ever done or could imagine. Um, PA school. <laughs> uh, PA school, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. glad I didn't know how grueling mm-hmm. it was going yeah. into it. <laughs> I was... Um, I, I was an older student at that age. There were only two that were that were older than I was, and so I became like um, like a mother to the kids who were also all deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the schooling part was wonderful and intense. The best learning part came from you have to do um, like an internship. We call it externship, internship, externship where you have so many months in different sects of medicine, gastroenterology, surgery, um, pediatrics. And so you sort of get, what you've applied in, what you've learned in school, you apply it. You see how it works. Um, so I graduated in 2003, and Wake Forest had been kicking out PA students for so long where I lived um, that there weren't a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I still had one child at home, and moving wasn't an option. So the only job that came along was the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew the Lord at that time, <laughs> and I prayed. Justin just grimaced, so <laughs> yeah. everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> He's not sure how he feels about exposure in an emergency room. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sure either, Justin. <laughs> As I see it, I felt like you did. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so... Um, the system where I worked in the emergency room, um, we just saw the next patient that came in. We weren't in a, just a triage area. If it was a gunshot wound and you were next to pick up a patient, you picked up a patient. Mm. So that was pretty scary being a new graduate. But again, I learned and I learned mm. and I learned. Um, and so the thing that I liked about emergency room setting is the physicians are right there. If you've got a question, if you need something, mm. you can run for help. You're not flying solo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you so, have a sense of support around you, you but it gives you autonomy yeah. to a certain degree to make some decisions. And, yeah. Okay. Right. And you learn your craft really fast wow. because everything that you've learned now in that short amount of time, you're using it. Yeah. And you're learning. And, and again, it is fast in terms of like people are just it's coming it's coming it's coming yeah you need to make a decision so you learn really quickly like when you go into that exam room is the patient just shuffled do you smell alcohol do you smell smoke um what does their t-shirt say what um right yeah yeah yeah. are they grimacing are they having a hard time talking are they you know What's the eye contact? Are their pupils enlarged? And so you take all this in in a matter of seconds, really. You wow. have to, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and then I think a good history, a good physical exam, and then you're on your way. You put your labs in the charts, and then you pick up the next patient. You usually try and manage six to eight patients at a time. You're supposed to discharge two an hour, which doesn't sound like much, but. Yeah, it's a lot to juggle. It's a gun tap. Yeah, it's a gun tap, right. <laughs> you gotta have them out of here right. in two hours. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> you, you learn a lot. Yeah. So, I learned a lot. So, I felt grateful for that. Nice. Um, me personally, over time, I was there for just short of eight years. Um, the get them in, get them out, get them in, get them out. There was no, though you would form a relationship with that patient. When mm-hmm. someone thinks they're dying or they have a life-threatening illness, mm-hmm. they become so vulnerable. They just open up. They're honest with you. You can ask a question, you'll get an honest answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really came to appreciate that so very much. I came to appreciate and understand the fronts we put up and mm-hmm. kind of the, I don't want to say game that medicine plays, but uh, medicine definitely isn't about vulnerability. But healing is about vulnerability. So I went in there. So they get them in, get them out. And I thought, I'm not, I miss, like, though we had frequent flyers. Sure. What we call frequent flyers, patients yeah. that would, you know. Frequent <laughs> <laughs> Do they collect miles? You get points. You get points. You collect pills. <laughs> and gotcha. you collect, um, People go for psychosocial reasons. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of empathy, sympathy from our families. Mm-hmm. So, there's various reasons yeah. for being a freaking fire. Yeah. Right? 
Can, and can, if you're if you're can you address how you see the physical health, mental health? You know, I'm I'm just thinking about it from that. But as a therapist, you know, it's like I just see them as so integrated. Can you speak to that to a certain degree as far as how the two tend to go hand in hand? I I think that they are very much connected hand in hand. Um, because our health depends on our mental status, mm-hmm. but also if our body isn't functioning well or it's got a breakdown somewhere, then our mental status isn't working. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a vicious cycle. And so I think you you don't want to separate the two. You want to realize that they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. You know, in your spiritual life as well. Um, the mm-hmm. people that came in and had the Bibles with them. They had a faith with that, had faith mm-hmm. to them. Um, they seem to be healthier, have a better grasp on their bodies, have a better grasp on what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to get on a tangent because I feel like. Here's the soapbox. It's <laughs> <step> right <laughs> up. This is the one Mark and I use. Yeah, Justin and I take turns with it. So, yeah. Okay, here's my Enjoy. tangent. King of the Hill. <laughs> so, my tangent is that. Your spiritual life is also a big part of health. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very sad that me- medicine is not allowed to recognize that. So it's an mm-hmm. example. I became a Christian um, when I was in the emergency room. And so I got the courage to ask patients, would you like me to pray for you with you? Mm-hmm. Um, I only had one patient tell me no. Um, but... The establishment found out I was praying with patients. Mm. So my supervising physician pulled me aside and he said, that's what we've got chaplains for. Mm. And so um, that's not part of your scope of practice. But um, mm. what, which to me was sad. No, I hear you. Yeah. yeah. So um, later in life, I took a job where I worked in integrative health. It was a Christian establishment. There was encouraged to pray for your health. Or for your patients, I was told, um, as I, as I shadowed the doctor, he said, before I go into the exam room, I ask God, how can I help this patient to get well? Do they need prayer? And so, he didn't pray with everybody. But sometimes you feel the Holy Spirit knocking. This person needs your prayer. They need your empathy. They need to know that God is with them and God can heal their bodies. Mm-hmm. And so, that's a part of medicine too that I think is We've just lost it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a big part of it. God gave mm-hmm. us these bodies that they can heal. Is that is that not in some ways part of the polarization that we tend to where, you know, as we've diversified, if I may say so, mm-hmm. our health it's like, you know, we've kind of stepped away from a integral or holistic, is that a fair word to use to describe it's like, yeah, it's about mental health, it's about spiritual health, it's about physical health, it's about emotional health, social interaction is a big part of supports, and yeah. It is, and it doesn't really have to be a long visit. I feel like, you know, that's, mm -hmm. I feel like with the insurance company's mandate now, you know, you've got these many minutes with that patient, Mm -hmm. and so um, I think it doesn't have to be long. I feel like, because if you're doing your job, you're going in that exam room, and you're doing your 15-second assessment, and you get a pretty good feel for what's going on with that patient. You watch the body language. you, And then I think if you sit down and you simply ask them, mm-hmm. tell me what's going on, you learn a lot. It seems so simple. It seems so simple, and it doesn't take long. Yeah. And is that not the care right. that people need to see? Mm-hmm. You know, and regardless of whether it's right. their spiritual health, it's like, People don't know how much care how much you know until they know how much you care. Correct. And that's I think, exactly it. You know, and I think that's what we you know we portray, not betray, but portray. You know, when we're actually sitting down face to face, having a conversation that says, "Okay, you can drop your mask, right, and you can tell me what's really going on," because right. then at that moment, I'm better able to understand, and I'm also better equipped to help. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's not about, I think if you treat the patient as, tell me your symptom and I'll give you a pill, mm-hmm. I mean, how can all this really occur with that? 
Mm-hmm. It's not about here's a symptom, here's a pill, and you come back and then yeah, there's yeah. more symptoms and here's mm-hmm. more pills. It's yeah. you're just medicine isn't designed that way. And not to throw doctors under the bus. I mean, it's very um oh, it's very stressful. Um, even when I left the emergency room, they already had come up with protocols. Yeah. So, yeah, if you had a heart attack, these are the la- these mm-hmm. are the labs, these are the x-rays, these are the symptoms of a heart attack. If you have, um, you have a stomach ache, well, the nurse in triage can get stuff going ahead of time because here's the protocol they can follow. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about, yeah, the get them in, get them out. And to speak to that real quick, protocols are helpful, right? They are helpful. So, so, so there's this, there's this, right? There's this balance that, because the reason I'm speaking to this is because I can speak to this in <laughs> in the non medical world, right. like even in my job. Right. When we introduce those kind of automated checklist type mm-hmm. protocol, whatever, it is helpful. It does help with some things, like you said. Now the nurses can do more, right. whatever, but it also can cause a removal of like a cognitive connection to what you're doing and just well like right. go to the next thing go to the next thing and you check off the boxes and you move on you get that's the next exactly, thing. that's exactly what's happened it's and, happening. yeah yeah okay. mm-hmm. and so a lot of times i think physicians mid-levels they aren't given the option because there's the protocols mm-hmm. and you've got these many minutes with the patients and so um you get Bonuses, if you spend less time, you get money. When I worked in the emergency room, I got bonuses for how many patients I saw above two and a half patients an hour. Mm-hmm. And so I was rewarded well. And then there's also the bonuses for, you got bonuses if you got good satisfaction scores. Mm-hmm. Like when you go to the doctor's now, don't you get some kind of an email or text? You're like, Going anywhere, you get to fill out a survey. And so I don't really know totally what happens with those surveys, but I know that if I got good satisfaction scores, I got more money in my paycheck. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I learned that if I Mm -hmm. gave a vaccine, I got more money in my paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so there's something that doesn't seem right. Yeah. I can speak to that whole system as well because that's very much in line with what I do. Okay. Um, and I, I do online software essentially. Okay. I build online okay. software, and so we are right in the realm of what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, and in so fact, that. we set our own surveys and all uh-huh. that. And just like the protocols allow you to take some thought out of processes, those surveys, all those things. Those are the things where money, like you said, that it represented money in your paycheck, but it also represents money in terms of investment. And it represents proof of what you're doing. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And so... What are you doing? Right. And so speaking to, like, my world, we don't have office visits or whatever, right? And so it's like, how else do we know if you approved of what we're doing? And we can't sell our thing as well as we can when we know we're doing a good job. And it's interesting how, as you describe what you were describing, it does feel like the medical industry is leaning towards that model of less interaction and more like the online model of get through the protocols, okay, get your 15 minutes of time with them, and then do your post-follow-up. And keep the interaction of the actual professionals to the patient as minimal as right. possible, because that's mm-hmm. how you get the most efficient. Correct. Right. It's about efficiency. Again, to a point, and sure. just to, to give well, an I example. don't think of hospitals well, are efficient. Right. So. <laughs> all right. So, just to give an example broken. of that. So also, when I was in the emergency room, um, we were encouraged to write for pain patients or pretty much any patients. Right. You want good satisfaction scores. So if you have to send them out with Narcotics, mm, a yeah. prescription for narcotics. Nope. Nope. You want good They're rides. happy. They're happy. You get a really good score. Yeah. You get more money in your paycheck, right? And so I think that that's how, sadly, how mm-hmm. some of the addiction, mm-hmm. I don't want to say that's the cause of it, but it is encouraged, right? Mm-hmm. It's encouraged. And I think um, chemical dependency can be a slippery slope, right? So you have a backache, you're, you've got some narcotics. Um, 
the narcotics help you cope with life better. Right. You, you can feel go back to doing right. what you do. Right. Yeah. And feel good. And so then, and that's where it's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. You don't start out thinking, you know, oh, I want to hide from these, you know, from whatever. Mm-hmm. You just want to be able to function. And then it takes the edge off of other things. Or maybe you don't feel so anxious. And so maybe I want these a little bit more often and I'm not abusing them, but I'm having a tough day at work. So, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be nice to take that Percocet or... So you're... You're you're, you're perpetuating um, it. Your appreciation of them increases, but also they have diminishing returns, right? If I understand correctly. So not only do you think, oh, it could help also here, also here, but also it's doing less each time. Correct. Right? So you need more for both. Yeah. And I I think... I think, I guess I know... Um, the medicine's become such a business, mm-hmm. and so that's what drives it. What drives it is the money, and not necessarily what's going to be the best for this patient, what's mm-hmm. going to make this patient better. And ultimately, I think that's what you see as a demise of sorts if we're not necessarily focused on what's best for the patient. Right. It, it eventually becomes the entire group. Right. If we're not concerned mm-hmm. about the one, I'm not saying that people aren't genuinely concerned, you know, in the health, you know. But yes, if to the point that that relationship, the individual relationship is being diminished, it has a broader effect, like a ripple effect, if you will, Mm -hmm. on the whole pond. Right. When that one individual is, yeah, I'm just. And it's, 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 I think most, um, Physicians mid levels go into school because they do care. They yeah. want to make people well, right? Yeah. They don't go in it to think, yeah. "Oh, I want to make a ton of money," right? Maybe yeah. some do, but I think for the most part, they don't. And so, unfortunately, the establishment bureaucracy, whatever you want to call it, makes it very difficult to continue to care. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why physicians get burned out. Like mm-hmm. you do care. You realize maybe this isn't the best interest for the patient. You realize I've got only this much time. So you sort of, in some ways, have to shut yourself down. Yeah. Right? To function that's within that. mm-hmm. You kind of have to shut off the compassion part so that you can do your job. Right. As, as far as meeting expectations. Right. Yeah. So. As I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking we're, we're talking about this, you know, the, the bureaucracy, this bigger structure. So I'm seeing, you know, if I don't want, if I want to genuinely help people, I'm, I'm even thinking of my daughter to a certain degree, you know, right. if she has a desire to be a PA, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, it's like, and I don't want to necessarily operate in this. What are my options? Yeah, I mean, how do you... How do you look at what it is? Because yes. you're not going to... Short of some, I think it's going to change because I think patients are starting to demand change. Mm-hmm. Um, yay! <laughs> you hear that out there? Demand change. Demand it's change. up to you to change yeah. the health system. Which is yes. sad. It's like what, how you started out the conversation saying we need an advocate. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't need an advocate, but we do need an advocate. And so mm-hmm. we, I think, when you're sick or you're mm-hmm. scared, um, you know, sometimes you don't ask the questions or you're to have an advocate to come with you and say, well, what about this? Or what do you think about this test? Or are there going to be side effects from that? Or should we know about that? Um, I think patients, um, if they start to say, I don't want to take those diabetic medications, what else can I do? Um, Is there a way I can get my blood pressure down some other way? Um, I think it's going to be a difficult change because there's not money in that. I think it's a difficult change because in speaking to a recent graduate in school, it seems like, in speaking to an old-timer, it seems that the medical books have not changed over the years. They're doing the same thing. Only the meds, right? Here's meds. So that... So the science has been primarily focused on the medical... medication side of solving the problems versus like because I know there's been a lot of studies on the body and you know our immune systems our brains all those things over the course of however many years 
are you not seeing that stuff kind of make its way back to the books because no, they're focused in right it's not it's not taught in school you're not taught you know this patient has a stomach ache or this patient has you know why are they nauseous every morning you just give some food for the nausea i mean you want to check for pregnancy but other than that you just give a medication mm-hmm. for the nausea you don't want to mm-hmm. look at why are they feeling that way you know how, how can I help them get well? There's no focus on how can I help them get well. Um, when I went to Wake Forest, we had one class in nutrition that was two hours long. Um, that was our only sort of one mm-hmm. meal. Is, it, is that sufficient? Is that what you're saying? Right <laughs> it's now? not. Oh, okay. I'm saying, sorry, it's not. Everybody should know that, but I guess maybe, maybe the school doesn't know that. Sorry. Okay. So... Um, that being said, how important is nutrition? Nutrition is a big part of our healing. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Nutrition is part of our healing. All the things, the cliches, I guess you've heard, mm-hmm. but you don't really apply them. You start mm-hmm. to apply just small things. How much did you sleep last night? Yeah. Um, do you have a good relationships within your family? Are you willing to work on those relationships? Do you realize how stressed they're making you? Mm-hmm. How your body's starting to breakdown, um, how those um, shampoos that you're using, that body lotion that you're using, have you ever looked at the back of the label to see how many chemicals are in that shampoo or mm-hmm. um, or yeah. how many um, chemicals are in My wife Megan's a hairstylist. Hairstylist, uh, sorry. She's <laughs> a purveyor of chemicals in your head. She is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's fact. It's okay. Well, once in a while, it's okay, right? But I think if we're on a daily basis using this body Mm -hmm. lotion, right, and you never Mm -hmm. looked at what's on the back, and you never looked at how many chemicals are in it, I think this is a fact here about um, how many chemicals the FDA, here it is, um, like Mm -hmm. the European Union has banned over 1,300 chemicals. The FDA has only banned eight and restricted three. Wow. Many cause cancer and DNA damage. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you're saying we should move to Europe? Is that <laughs> we correct? can move to Europe, or <laughs> we can demand? Right. We yeah. can demand. What are these mm-hmm. things on the labels? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what makes it important for me, as as you and I've gotten to know it, it is your your knowledge of those things that most people might be unaware of. Mm-hmm. Right. They're actually impacting their daily health. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of where I'm at is, you know, it's like, what are those things that you see? And and here again, Justin and I sit before these microphones quite often as two guys. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I think of my wife, I think of other ladies, you know, who might be, you know, over time are struggling maybe with a fatigue and they just right. think, well, this is just life. This is what happens as you age. Yeah. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. Can you kind of speak yeah, to that? I don't think it is. I think all these insults that we give our body, it's almost like a, a pail, right? So you put an insult in and an insult in and an insult in, and there's only so much that body holds. And then at some point, it overflows. Mm-hmm. And then you have breakdown. Um, you have breakdown in fatigue, brain fog. Um, yeah, it's not that you don't go to bed in time, but you can't sleep. Um, you're inflamed, your joints ache, your, um, those insults you need to start by just taking away a little insult here, a little insult there. What what might those insults be for, you know, individuals to kind of, and here again, we're not offering health advice, but I think there's a, I think you have an awareness of like, like with the chemicals in the hair. No offense to Megan or Amy, but you know, I didn't mean but, it that way at all. But yeah, exactly. I'm but, telling. <laughs> <laughs> but thinking of those things that we might expose ourselves to, right? That have that might we might want to think about doing differently right. from a long term effect. I think one of the biggest in our society now is something I've heard this catch word: xenoestrogens. 
It's a big catch word now. Xeno and if estrogen. you haven't heard it, xenoestrogens. Right? Okay. You were okay. talking about hormones the other day. Yeah, I know, I know. So yeah. xenoestrogens are man-made chemicals, okay. mostly found in plastics. They act in our body like exogenous estrogens. Exogenous are what our body naturally makes. Okay. They okay. are 1,000 times more powerful okay. than endogenous hormones. And so mm. we have receptors on which the estrogens attach. But when they're exogenous, because they're a thousand times yeah. more powerful, when they attach there, then our own hormonal system breaks down. So, because it doesn't say, okay, I need more estrogen, I need more testosterone, mm-hmm. I need more progesterone, mm-hmm. because they're filled up with xenoestrogens. So I was listening to a podcast, um, and the, the guest was a guy who has his own podcast called Huberman Labs. And if I'd suggest maybe check it out sometime, yeah. but he does a lot with uh, hormonal therapy, that kind of thing. He's kind of okay. on the cutting edge of that mm-hmm. stuff to the point where he does like the injections and those kind right, of things. Right. But it's fascinating as he they interviewed him. The the his hobby horse, his hot button, his uh, soapbox was he spent probably twenty thirty minutes talking about how important the sun is and I exposure see. to the sun, and right. I'm like. This is so cool (laughs) because what we're saying is we're coming full circle. And it's kind of what you're saying, too. Uh Like, we have all these. And this is guy, he does hormonal therapy, but he's talking about how important the sun is. But he also talked about um, what's the chemical we take to sleep? Uh, Melatonin. It's a what? It's a hormone. Yes, yeah. But he was saying exactly that the version that we take over the counter is like, thousand times more than the natural melatonin right. that our body mm-hmm. produces. So once that kicks in, if, if we develop, if we do that multiple times, eventually our body just gives up and says, I can't compete. I think that's right. kind of what you're saying, what right? Same kind of thing. Right. So a small change I made in my life, which my husband jumps on board most of the time, is as soon as the daybreak comes, we go yeah. out and we walk for just 10 or 15 minutes. That's, so yeah. it resets your so you melatonin the, clock or yes. circadian rhythm. Right, and you get so the melatonin, cool. so your body's already setting up melatonin for the evening. Yeah, that's yeah. what you decided on. Thank you. You yeah. actually connected all those dots. Yeah, me, until you get vitamin D from the sun, so vitamin D is a hormone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, um, we want natural hormones, not the xenoestrogens. And estrogens, I hate that it's got that, that estrogen word to it. Um, because nope. it's something that men, estrogen says xenoestrogen. Okay. And I think when yeah, when men estrogen, hear estrogen, we think it's a woman thing. Way, you run the other way. <laughs> That's how we see it as men. Yeah. You know, estrogen is evil. You want testosterone, not estrogen. Men no, have estrogen, sure. and you need estrogen. That's what he talked a lot about, yeah. too, is kind of the stigmatism. Yeah. Us, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because we're on that word. And right. We That's need a woman men's thing. Need. Yeah. And, and so, all, uh, no, all men have estrogen, and they need estrogen. And so when the xenoestrogens come into play, you get... The beer belly, yeah. the mm-hmm. love handles, the, mm-hmm. and so the dad bod, the, the dad bod, yes, the dad bod. <laughs> and so it's the dad bod or the beer belly caused by too many beers, maybe, mm-hmm. probably xenoestrogens, mm-hmm. and so or a combination, um, of or a combination things, of things, right? Things, like, right? Could be partly the the beer combining with the other chemicals that we induce, right. or whatever, uh-huh. and that just the and combination. it blocks up our receptors. Mm-hmm. When those kind of toxins come into our bodies, our body recognizes them as toxins, and it tries to quickly sequester them away. So toxins, you know, estrogens, they're stored in fat cells. Mm-hmm. And so, hence, the dead body. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> yeah. The beer so, belly. So if <laughs> I may, meals. for clarification, you, you know, the xenoestrogens, as you're talking about them, you mentioned the plastics, and I'm looking right over here, and we yeah. got a. Pl- are you are you saying? Yeah. I don't normally drink out of plastic bottles. Well, no, and I'm not yeah. saying. I mean, but, that but was my fault. I <laughs> no, the no but, but I'm thinking about it as a culture. Right. Oh, absolutely. You follow yeah. me, and is that is that correct on my part? That I'm, I'm granted maple syrup comes in. You know, I right. mean, I think of when I walk down the aisle mm-hmm. at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Everything we not everything. Most things we purchase come out of a plastic container. 
Right. And I do think about it from as a, as a kid, I grew up with when we bought milk, it came out of a cardboard container. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or there was the glass milk jar, yeah. you know, early yeah. on. My parents yeah. probably yeah. still use them yeah. because there's a bottler, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm and I'm thinking about this transition. Or is that what you're... That's exactly what, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's the paper products. It's the plastics. It's the, like, tea bags, toilet paper. It's been bleached. It has chemicals in it. You're wiping... Your sensitive areas with those. Okay. It, the skin there absorbs things really rapidly and really quick. Mm. Um, most uh, hand creams, body lotions we put on will absorb into your skin within 15 seconds. Okay. So that's the part where I talk about your pocket gets full, right? So yeah. instead uh-huh. of using, look at the label, look at the back of your hand cream. Maybe you could use coconut oil with some essential oils and sprinkle them. Or you could use beef tackle. You could use, which is full of vitamins and nutrients for your skin. Um, and some essential oils if you want to smell pretty. If, if, if I may ask, because I've, I've heard the phrase before to a certain degree, you know, if you can't eat it, don't put it on your skin. That's what she yeah, is that is that basically you are eating it? It's a different mechanism, right? You're absorbing you're it. Absorbing it. You may not necessarily be consuming it, but if you so that's yeah. And yet we eat a lot of stuff we brush. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like how I see it, please do all the things that podcasts tell you to do: subscribe rate, review, follow us, uh, and or talk nicely about us on social media. If you want to reach out, the email is us at howiseeit.click. Yep, I said dot click, as in dot C-L-I-C-K. Please tell your friends about this show, and we'll see you on the next one.